0: Hey everybody, this is Brian, your friendly neighborhood dungeon master and the host of Cannon Fodder. Are you interested in brand new playable content, DM tips and tricks, and expanded lore for the Fractured Realms? Then consider checking out the 20-sided newsletter, a free bi-monthly email newsletter that delivers tons of cool content and keeps you up to date on all the latest projects within the 20-sided podcast universe to subscribe, you can click on the link in the show notes below, or go to 20sidedpodcasts.substack.com. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome back to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put first-time DMs through their paces as we build and run their very first one-shot, and then circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how they can make their game even better. This right here is the fifth and final episode of the increasingly inaccurately named three-part series following our first first first-time DM, Abby Hepworth. Back in episode two, we ran her Western one-shot, but were unable to finish it, one of the ever-present perils of a one-shot. So we decided to get the gang back together and finish the adventure. So today, we're gonna be talking about the second half of that one-shot and also discuss what adjustments Abby made between sessions, where she thought she improved, and also where she hopes to still get better. So Abby, welcome back. Thanks for having me, babe. Of course, great to have you back. Let's start off with a bit of a recap of last session. Do you think you can walk us through what happened on part two of the Deplorable Four's adventure?
1: Yes, I can. Um, So (laughs) we met up with the Deplorable Four as they had just discovered Marsden Greed's treasure chest in the back of the prison in a cell with Jolene in hot pursuit digging underground and uh, discovered that it was sort of a two part puzzle to get into the chest. The first part being that it was, uh, very tightly tied with a rope, which upon a ridiculously easy DC investigation, <laughs> you guys realized was uh, a knot that was identical to the one holding Gord's belt in place, uh, which was Kevin's special, uh, request for his character. So that was a very fun thing to do. And then, uh, there was a second piece of the puzzle of getting into the chest. Uh, everybody figured it out and got into the treasure chest, uh, discovering a special sword in the process. And then as you guys were trying to make a way out the back door with your phenomenal loot, uh, you found yourselves face-to-face with Jolene and her crew and battled. Jolene revealed herself to be a harpy matriarch And sang to you all. Saris used her fancy, exciting new sword to help defeat Jolene and her gang. And the deplorable four did, I'd say, two out of the three things they were hoping to do. They defeated Jolene Mm -hmm. and they got away with the treasure. Mm -hmm. However, uh, in a last second effort to kind of save their own skins from going to prison, they had to uh, give credit basically to Jolene's cronies. Saying they stole the treasure so that people would go on a wild goose hunt trying to find them to make away with it. So,
0: well, that's one way you can look at it. But <laughs> the way I look at it is that, well, we 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 defeated the the mighty Jolene. Uh-huh, her her uh-huh, little crony is uh-huh. just off there, off there, you know, doing doing his own thing. But you know, when word gets around that we actually duped these people, well, <laughs> let me tell you, that's when uh, that's when the Deplorable fall is going to be having their name in lights, as it were. <laughs>
1: So yes, yeah, so a reputation wise deplorable for like, it was like, eh, we did a cool thing. No one can know right now, but hopefully we'll work around that eventually.
0: Uh, one day, one and day. And that was
1: I like, successfully, I didn't kill anybody. We made our way and yeah, it ended, it ended on a high note.
0: It did. It was a very fun second session. Mostly <laughs> it was, it was basically just like two scenes. It was essentially the. Yeah, uh, it was
1: short. We didn't have that much left in my like prepared one shot to actually get through.
0: Yeah. And we had the the puzzle in the the room, which I I think we figured out very quickly. And then you just figured
1: out immediately,
0: figured it out immediately. (laughs) And then which I this is another reason why I think it is better to have puzzles that are too easy than too hard, because, yes, we figured it out immediately. And then we got to play with the fact that we figured it out immediately. So there was half an hour of us just like fucking around with Gord and like trying to lead him to the answer, which was like extremely not
1: even that part of like the the gourd whole rope knot situation yes you guys like knew kind of what it was and you had a ton of fun leading him but then the actual puzzle part Mm -hmm. of unlocking the chest i think at least three of the four of you maybe all four of you figured it out immediately but then again took everyone took their time to like find a way to make it fun even though it was mm-hmm. like oh we know the answer and and so people like took their time to be like but how do we deliver the information to the puzzle in like a funny way and i appreciated that as a dm because it made me feel a little bit better about the fact that you guys i did not do i didn't prep something that was challenging enough but you guys had fun with it
0: I did like Naka's whole like in character explanation of well, there's a there's this five I, I bet what well, well, his, his thing was like uh, the a, bats a, have a, two bat wings has, yeah, and yeah.
1: and a mouth, so they have three points to them, and then a spider has <laughs> six legs.
0: Yeah, and out like that animal that, bat, that which famously
1: was very fun. has eight legs.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. right. Yeah, very fun, very fun bit, and then we we got to play because you had the this kind of like second in to Gord's character backstory, this like Gordian knot belt thing. If it hadn't come up before, it would definitely come up now because he would recognize this identical knot.
1: It was a thing where, yeah, I had hoped to be able to touch on it earlier, but I pretty immediately was like, oh, we'll, at the very least, when you guys get to the treasure, it will be tied up with a knot. Even, so if you hadn't touched on it before then, you would have had that fun reveal at that point.
0: Right. And then we got to kind of do the, the full. We kind of completed the joke, as it were, of like, hey, Gord, we, you know, we figured out how to undo this knot. What do you think? You want to try it on yourself? And then Kevin's line of, well, I can't cut it. This is my best belt. Was
1: <laughs> my favorite part brilliant. about it is that it insinuates that Gord owns other belts. Why? does He has no need for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, just likes, just likes having them.
1: But um, yeah, no, you were saying it's like a, we really only had two scenes left was the puzzle and then the final battle. With Jolene.
0: So before we get into the final battle, let's talk about just kind of broadly over the game. How did you feel this game versus the first game? Because I know at the end of the first game we talked and you said you felt a bit disappointed. You felt underprepared. Mm-hmm. You felt at times kind of lost in what you were doing. How did this second session compare to the first one?
1: I think because I knew we had two sort of points to hit that we had a puzzle for you guys to solve. And then we had a battle and that was effectively it. And then I would be like wrapping up the end, depending Mm -hmm. on what happened. Somehow, I think I spent a little more time prepping and preparing because I had learned my lesson. (laughs) So I felt better about that. And then something about knowing that they were only kind of two things that I had planned. And both of them were a little bit more of like a mechanical. Right had mechanical aspects to them outside. It wasn't just like you guys show up at a bar and now who do you want to talk to? And there's like endless possibility of where you can go and what you could do and who you could see.
0: Yeah, the the lines were a little more clear in these areas because like the puzzle has a solution and the fight is also in a sense like has a solution.
1: Right, it was like once we rolled initiative and you guys were in it, like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, but also it was like, there's a little bit more construct. It was the walls of the sandbox were a little smaller. Yeah. So I felt a little more sure of myself there, but then it was funny to me because I feel like even by the end of this session, again, it was a thing where I was like, I, I feel like I'm only a couple steps ahead of you guys and was starting to feel that kind of nervousness of like, oh my God, I, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what words are coming out of my mouth. Mm. However, having done it once before and having talked about it a lot with you, both like on the podcast and also just in person in between the games, I felt a little more okay about it where I was like, crap, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm about to, what words are going to come out of my mouth. And I feel like there are a couple times where I stumbled over myself, but I was like, but this is what it is. Uh, right. So I, I, I do think there were some improvements from the last session. I also think that obviously I've only done this twice. I'm very green. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a lot of, fun doing it. And so feel like it was like, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff I screwed up, but like,
0: but if you (laughs) had fun, you did it right. You
1: did it right. So yeah.
0: One of, one of the key tenets of this show, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Because I mean, ultimately, and I think to your point of you never felt more than a few steps ahead, I would maybe challenge you to think of it in a slightly different way in that if you are a Player, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you are a PC, you're, you're playing the same game as the DM, but you come into it completely unprepared. Like you have your character sheet and you know what that character sheet does, but you're not planning out your steps ahead. You're reacting to what the DM does. If you think of being a DM a little more as just being another player at the table, just with different responsibilities,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I sometimes kind of find that that's easier. It's a less pressure filled way to think of it because like, yes, you do need to prepare you do need to have a world built But in the moment to moment actions, you just have to kind of react to what the other people are doing rather than focus on planning or being prepared because you're only ever going to have as much track as you're able to like toss out in front of you.
1: Right. It is a thing where I feel like especially it was the very end of the second session And I realized that we finished the battle, but that there needed to be some tidying up afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it happened that you guys had one of Jolene's followers with you. And it was like, what are you gonna do with him? And then Marston shows up and is like, where the fuck is my treasure? Who are you guys? What happened to Jolene (laughs) basically? And I felt, I felt like I was attempting to be a sort of like math genius where it was like I was simultaneously attempting to calculate and figure out every possible route that you guys could take and what I would do to react to any of them. Mm-hmm. And then what would the next step be in the next? And it's just like this branching of 1 million, like the possibilities just becomes exponential. And, and I, my brain was like, and if they do this, then you could do this. And then you do blah, blah, blah. blah it like was fine because I could listen to you guys and react to what you were planning to do or whatever. And it, it was such a brief moment, but I feel like it was the kind of thing where in this game that happened maybe once or twice in the previous game, I feel like I was doing that a lot. And I think mm-hmm. that if I approach it more of a, like, let me see what you guys do and then I will figure out what I do afterwards rather than trying to preemptively assume what you guys will do or prep for all the possibilities or whatever, that it might be less overwhelming. That was a thing as well this time around that I feel like I tried very actively to allow myself a little more space and literal time when it was like my turn Mm -hmm. being like, huh, what would the right move be? Or like in the battle being like, so I'm now this guy, what would he do? And like actually letting myself kind of sit, and think for a second, rather than feeling like I needed to have something prepared at all times.
0: Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit about a highlight of the session for you. I wanna get a couple of like broad areas then we'll kind of move into specifics of kind of the battle and the puzzle. What was a highlight of this session for you? Something that either you just enjoyed playing like a fun moment or something that you felt you did particularly well this session as compared to last session?
1: I was definitely more prepared for the battle and um, felt it went better. It was a lot more... it was much closer to an even match. I will say that even still, I um, wanted to, because like there were just a couple of like, fucking phenomenal rolls and swings from people where they just demolished. <laughs> like Kevin with the snakes where even I got ahead of myself and I was like, he didn't even roll damage. And I was like, you send that thing to the fucking moon or, or Sarah's Lauren rolling. And just like the amount of damage she was doing could have killed literally everyone present. And I was like, I feel like I need to honor that because also she's the first time she's using this cool new weapon. And I wanted to keep having, My plan had been to uh, like have more snakes pop kind of out of behind things and Mm -hmm. maybe have another crony pop up somewhere, but probably like more snakes and things. And the reason I didn't was because we were playing a little bit later in the day after it had been a work day. And some people had been like, we're, you know, it's been a long day and it was getting later and we've been playing a little longer than I think. Even we necessarily planned to, or something. And I didn't want to reach a point where everyone felt tired. Sure. And wasn't necessary, was just kind of waiting for the end of the battle. And so I feel like the battle, I felt a lot more confident. I feel like it went a lot better. It was more of an even, it was closer to an even match. Mm -hmm. And I actively made a decision to be like, don't add more guys, let them finish this up because I think that's what my players want.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think there was a point in there where I think that I always think about is once a battle kind of becomes inevitable. So usually once the big bad is defeated and mm-hmm. there's only like henchmen left, you kind of want to wrap it up pretty mm-hmm. quick from there. because, you know, when we got to the end of that battle, we had defeated Jolene. We had like, you know, a big badass moment where she fell out of the sky. And there's one crony left like, yes, we could go around an in initiative and like finish them off. Oh, I was
1: never going to make you fight him. He wasn't right. going to attack you guys at that point. Cause he would have been like too traumatized by seeing Jolene die. But yeah, it was like, w- I felt very much like I was on a border where I was like, do I make this keep going, injure them more, make it feel more like, Oh, we don't know which way this is going to swing or let them kind of keep crushing it. And we will wrap this up. And I, f- as I said, I felt like that was the way players were leaning towards, like we were having fun mm-hmm. and I'm sure people would have continued playing and it's not like anybody actively was like, Abby, can we wrap this up or whatever? Right. But it was a thing where I was like, okay, we've been going for a little while. I don't want to make anyone like feel like this isn't fun anymore.
0: Right. On the subject of, of adding the, the snakes in a thing to think about for future when you, when you're doing this kind of game of balancing the battle on the fly, like adding in more people, or taking away people, things like that. When you introduce the additional snake, there was just kind of like an additional snake that came in. I think it'd be fun to give a little more narrative reason for like why these bonus snakes are coming. So like, Jolene yells out, "Hey, Ansel, grab <sighs> Big Bertha!" And he like reaches <laughs> into his backpack, and a giant snake comes out.
1: Like, yeah, I, even, should, even, I even could have given matter. more context for why this snake was popping out, or I could have had two pop out for every one you killed or something.
0: Because then it could also be a thing where if there is a place they're coming from or a person that is summoning them, Ah, then it gives us like a mini challenge where, oh, we gotta fuck up that guy because he's- You gotta plug that hole
1: or this room is gonna keep flooding, but we also have to kill Jolene because she's gonna keep injuring us.
0: By adding in different elements of the battlefield that we can interact with, Mm -hmm. not just hit and kill. I think it creates a more dynamic battle.
1: Yeah. This was definitely a thing where I feel like I, it was the area where I feel like I improved the most and is also still the area where I feel like I need the most improvement, like moving forward. It's still my weakest link, I think, but I definitely felt like it went, I felt much better about this round. And so I'm like, all right, girl, you could next one will be even better. Like, but
0: right. right, right. <laughs> No, I think between the first battle and this battle, I think it was kind of night and day where this one felt like more things were happening. You the space had, was better. The space was better. Yeah. The variety of opponents was better. It wasn't just guys coming at you. There was like some different aspects to it. I also and feel like, like
1: everyone got to do their cool thing.
0: Yes. Everyone kind of got to do their thing. You know, we got we got sneak attack. Saris was able to like get the sword working. I was able to do just buttloads of damage with different spells and stuff.
1: And the guy's coming at you and no one hit you because you're fucking. Yeah, no one hit
0: me because my AC is naturally Naka got to use his
1: gun that he throws. And then he also got you to use Eldritch Blast and his like charging thing. Gord got to rage and do a frenzied rage.
0: Right. So everyone's kind of doing their like class features, which is always a thing you want to see. Since we're on the battle, let's let's stay Uh here for a minute. Let's talk about two areas. One, one was just a, a rules thing that we talked about <laughs> afterwards that we had both forgotten. And that was the Harpy's song it, it induces a charm effect. A charmed creature cannot willfully attack the charmer, uh, which was a thing that came up when.
1: Naka uh, as Chevelle.
0: When Chevelle, yes.
1: Attacked her Jody. on the rooftop and and really helped bring her down and, and put her in a, in a really good position for that killing
0: blow. Now, now that being said, that's just like a minor rules thing. It's like, oh, we forgot to do this. Oh, well.
1: It is also a thing where I need to go back and reread in the book, the description of the harpy. But I don't remember in reading the description of what luring song is. I feel like it's the kind of thing where I'm like, that should be in the book. It should say she does luring song. You're you're charmed by the creature and you cannot attack her while you're charmed. And it may say that, and I might be wrong, but it, it's a thing where I'm like, oh, of course I didn't know that or whatever. Yeah.
0: It it doesn't, or at least I'm pretty sure it doesn't. It just says the creature is charmed. Yeah. Which is a condition that has, that it, that, it like, is you kind of you you should already
1: know, or you would, yes, have knowledge of like what that thing is. But.
0: And really, maybe that is a good small section to study. And really for anyone out there who's a, a first time or, or a new DM is to look at the conditions table. Mm-hmm. And look at condition, like look at the difference between being grappled and being restrained. Look at what charmed means. Look at what being poisoned means. Well, that
1: was the thing with the snake because it was a giant poisonous snake. Mm -hmm. I, for some reason, did have the wherewithal beforehand in seeing there was a poisonous snake. And that if it bit you, you had to make a constitution saving roll. And it would do additional poison damage, but you did not then have the poison condition.
0: Right. Which are two totally separate things. Which are
1: separate things. And I remember... I think because I've had more experience as Mm -hmm. a player dealing with like poison or poison condition or whatever that I recognized and I was like, oh, which one is it? And are they different? And so for the snake, I did prep that. But for Jolene's song, I missed it and did not uh, think ahead on that.
0: And there is a fun thing where playing with conditions and like learning those and really getting them involved into a combat can be very fun because now we're grappling this person like keeping them still we're knocking this person prone we're poisoning this person giving them disadvantage by taking advantage of these different conditions either as a player and like inflicting conditions on your enemies or as a dm and like limiting your players with these with these hampering conditions you can really heighten the battle in different ways because now your player who has a million options has fewer options and Mm -hmm. that can be it can be frustrating in a way that is fun because now you're trying to overcome these surmounting odds.
1: Do you know what's funny to me is even in the battle, I was thinking to myself when Shvel got up there and went to attack her. I was like, but he shouldn't want to. And I had the actual thought where I was like, mm-hmm. feels very weird to me that like he's charmed by her and yet is doing damage. And I added a like narration of him being like, emotionally confused about the fact that he's in love with her, but wants to kill her and is like trying to be like, but why did my friends want me to hurt her again? And it makes me laugh now because it's like somewhere in my head. I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. I should have stopped and like checked the rules a little bit. Uh, So I do also think that there is a thing in playing when you find yourself in a situation where you're like, this doesn't make that much sense. It's like, maybe you are doing something wrong and like stop and double check it because I was, and I knew it somewhere in my head, even though I didn't actually, I knew it in my subconscious. Mm
0: -hmm. Within the battle, there was a lot that went right. Uh, So the things that went right were we had a variety of opponents, we had a much more interesting battlefield. There was a, it was now three dimensional instead of just, one dimensional mm-hmm. where in the train battle, it was just kind of forward back. This was forward, back, side, side, up and down mm-hmm. and a variety of opponents and different things. The one area that I think you, you missed an opportunity with was with the Harpy Matriarch, specifically with her ability to fly. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I liked it. She, she started on the roof as like Jolene. We didn't know she was a Harpy yet and was kind of like directing her troops from up there. And then once it was revealed she was a Harpy, she had wings, but then kind of just stayed on the roof.
1: So in my head, she was hovering above the roof. I did not narrate that to you. And then at some point in time was like, she should have flown out. So she wasn't directly over the surface. Exactly. And I think by the time I sort of realized it, or it was like you in my head, I was picturing certain things, but then I wasn't saying them out loud. And I was like, well, we're past the point of no return.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do think
1: I didn't, uh, make the most of that monster.
0: Yes. Um, I, I think especially with monsters that have things like flight, when your characters don't have that yet, that can be a particularly scary thing as a player. Cause like you can't like, especially for martial classes, they're not able to like hit it as easily. They've got to use, you know, thrown weapons, which they may, they may not be as good with. And it's just, it's a fun challenge. Cause now it could be a thing where she was hovering over the street and Chevelle, rather than just kicking her right there, now has to consider jumping to hit her or something. Mm-hmm. So there are some fun things that could happen there. So that was kind of a, a minor.
1: Something I could improve on. Yeah. That, that yeah.
0: Underutilization of a monster. Yeah. But not, but not terrible. It was just a, a thing that could be improved on, like using this monster to their fullest ability. And to be fair, the DM always has a harder time because they're running three or four or five creature blocks and they're trying to mm-hmm. like, optimize all of them something's always going to fall through the cracks and like one monster's not going to be doing one of their things and like, that's fine. But the more you're aware and the more you try to heighten different aspects of different monsters, mm-hmm. I think the more interesting the battle will end up being. Definitely. The other thing that, and this is the thing that I've been very actively trying to do in my own games because I think it's a great way to heighten, especially battles, because battles can often get a little, even, even with great like flowery descriptions and things, and even with a very intense and complicated battle, It can get a little, I do this, I hit him, you miss, you know, I attack, it hits, Mm -hmm. roll damage. I attack, it misses. Oh no, I attack, whatever. I think you did a very good job of adding in the like flowery descriptions of like how things are hitting and missing. and Like letting people narrate how they're doing their killing blows or what their, you know, spiritual weapon looks like type things. The thing that I've been trying to do, and I would recommend you do as well, and really Mm -hmm. any DM out there running a battle is have your villains react to the player's turns. Okay. There is, I think, especially in, in a D&D game, we feel very free in non-combat scenarios to like riff and to talk over each other and to kind of like jump on each other. And once we get into a initiative order, once we find a more structured area, it kind of goes to, it's your turn, it's my turn. It's your turn, it's my turn. And that is good. Because the last thing you want to do as a player or as a DM is step on another player's time in the spotlight.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when it's, when it's your turn, you want to do all the cool things like that's your time to shine. You want to make sure you're heightening that. So other players during that time, so say I'm taking a turn, every other player at the table should be letting me shine as much as I can, as well as doing their best to try to heighten it. So throw in little like comments or things that, that serve to heighten or affirm the choices that whatever player is making. And in the same way, it's a good idea for a DM to look at any actions that a player is making and comment on it as the villain. Yeah. So any, so anytime anyone's making a move as a player, have your villains like be communicating to each other or communicating to the players. So if Gord is taking out these snakes, have you know Jolene be telling the guys to protect the snakes or mm-hmm. you know, just by adding in that little bit of communication, it feels more like, A fight scene in a movie where the two sides are like actively working and like communicating and collaborating within their own teams. Totally. Yeah. Rather than
1: everyone taking turns and you're basically just waiting for your turn.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's what, what ends up happening is there's kind of an implied communication between these people. Like we know that everyone is optimized, but without the communication that, is required for optimization Mm -hmm. when you add in that communication, it can become very fun and interactive because then also there's an additional thing for you to do on your turn. Mm -hmm. And even when it's not necessarily your turn, not only do you get to do your cool attack and your bonus action and your movement and kind of do your story beats. Now the world is interacting back with you and your fellow players are interacting back with you. So now what could be a very by rote thing becomes more of that riff, becomes more of that talk over that is so much fun in non-combat or in social encounters.
1: Yeah. It's funny because I feel like it is a thing that does not come naturally to me of like in games where I've been a player, in battle stuff, I feel like I go into pure game mode of, I'm like, how do I optimize my player to cause the most damage or to do this so that we can defeat the bad guy. I go fully into like, this is a thing that you either win or lose. How do I win? And so it's always funny to me. And I feel like I'm getting better at recognizing the benefit of players who like you as a DM or whoever the DM is would be like, all right. So like you used your action, your bonus action. Is there anything else you want to do on your turn and the player will say, like, yeah, I wanna turn to the big baddie and be like, fuck you, miss, or whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why would you bother? But it's always funny and something that like I enjoy and it's just a thing that doesn't occur to me to even do because in my right. head, it's like I use my action to do something important. I use my bonus action to do something important. If I cannot do anything else important, I'm done with my turn. And it's like, no, there's a benefit just in the way that like the social stuff is all so much fun and the exploration is so much fun. Is like, as I said, I love when P- Noah's good about doing this. And Shnook mm-hmm. actually also is really good about doing this in season two. It's just funny. And it's a thing that does not come naturally to me. So it is then a good thing when I'm the DM of like having even more people to keep track of, I feel like it's a thing to be conscious of. Cause I also think as a DM, it makes more of a difference.
0: You know, I, I kind of disagree that it's not something that comes naturally to you. If I, if I can <laughs> comment on your uh, aspect of yourself, yeah. what I think it is, it doesn't come naturally to you once initiative is rolled. But I think- Anytime you're doing a social encounter or anything. Oh, that's I what I is, mean. Yeah. Right, but but uh, I guess what, what I'm saying is a lot of people have, they, they kind of view this game as almost two things. There is the goof around, social aspect, do whatever you want, blue sky. Uh-huh. And then initiative gets rolled and now it's a totally different thing. Yeah. And I think if you take down that wall, I mean, admittedly they are two separate things, but if that wall becomes a little bit more porous, you can still have the min max optimizing your turn while also getting some of the kooky, fun, wackiness, hey, let's do this crazy thing that we see in social encounters or in something that is non-initiative based. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, no,
0: definitely. And I think having a little bit of that fun in something that is more rigid really enhances the game and just gives you so much more to do, especially when you're a player who it's not your turn, rather than just sitting there waiting for your turn, planning your turn, your buddy does something cool. Have your player react to it I mean, or have your, have your character react to it. I mean, Gord gores someone with his horns and pins them in a building, throw off a joke or like, you know, hand them a thing. You know, there are a lot of things you can do that are non-combat related. That are like free actions that are fun and not only will enhance your experience of playing will enhance that like active players experience because not only is not only are they doing the cool thing, their friends, both in game and IRL are cheering them on and like having fun. Right. Yeah. So we were talking about highlights and I I actually want to touch on a highlight that I really liked in the moment. It was was something very small. It was probably something you didn't even pay that much attention to. And I think this is in direct response to some of my comments from our first talkback episode in episode three was when Saris rolled a nat 20 to like open the back door and look outside, Mm -hmm. which was like such a bummer of a nat 20 to roll. (laughs) and, and, you know, when you're, when right, you're rolling it like, at 20, you want to see something. if the
1: door's unlocked and you roll it at 20. It's like, yeah, the door is unlocked, but you also would have gotten that information with a 10 or higher. Right.
0: <laughs> but what I liked so much was you describing the manner in which she opened the door, how she like and it, because it affirmed her character. It was like, you know exactly what type of lock it is. You've seen this type of wood before. You know how this wood creaks when it opens Yeah. and you like put your hand in a certain spot to prevent that resonance and you open the door perfectly silently. I really liked that because I saw that Nat 20 get rolled and I was like, Oh yeah.
1: Like what it's. Yeah. It feels like what a waste of a Nat 20, right? Like I wish I'd rolled this in combat or
0: something. Yeah. It it is a time when I, as a DM I know would probably make a bit of a joke out where I'd be like, yeah, you open the door so perfectly the door thanks you or something. (laughs) That also would have been fun. Yeah. But the, the door
1: is briefly animated and is like, wow, girl, your hands on me.
0: Like, oh, <laughs> I haven't been touched like that since I was carved. You know what I mean? But I think that's a disservice to the players doing that kind of joke. I think that's fun every now and then. Uh-huh. But I think giving that affirmation of character of this is a person who is so sneaky. They've studied the wood of the door mm-hmm. was very fun. And it, it was a small moment, but it was one that I very much smiled at where I was like, That was a fucking ace move.
1: Oh, yay. Well, it was very much like Laura rolled that 20. And yeah, I was like, I mean, you could have rolled a 10. And I was going to tell you, yeah, the door's unlocked. And like, you peek your head out and you're pretty sure no one's there. But like, maybe someone, you know, with a 10, you would have been like, you're pretty sure, but not positive. And so with a 20, yeah, I was like, you're going to get all the information where it's like, it's out there. I told you guys after you got out there that there were like the covered wagons down the Mm -hmm. way to give you a place to run to and all this stuff. But yeah, I was like she deserves this as a like really cool thing and, and uh, loved it. And then also I'm pretty sure I said something like for the rest of you, you guys didn't even realize she'd gone over and opened the door because she was so right. like and, and then, sneaky and, and stealthy.
0: And then like reaffirmed that joke that we had from the first session of, yeah. of Sarahs would just sneak off and then come back with the information. We wouldn't have even realized she was gone.
1: Well, it's funny because with the creaking and stuff was yeah, very much my thought of like how, like, yes, she opens the door well, but what does that mean to be good at opening a door? Right. And I was like, well, cause also we, our apartment, uh, you know, is pretty old and there's like tons of creeks and, and old Western towns. You get that vibe of like, this is stuff that was maybe not built super well, was propped up pretty quick in these right. little tiny towns and maybe is old and falling apart. And, and so things creak and whatever. And I was like, if you're, it's that kind of thing where it's like the stairs in my parents' house, I know which stairs creak and where. And so if I wanted to go up those stairs perfectly silently, yeah, you know exactly I know what way to go do it. And so it was like that is a way that you would open a door well.
0: It it was a extremely nice, extremely satisfying, rewarding of a nat twenty on something that could have been very Yeah. You you know all the things.
1: Right, like a disappointing Nat 20.
0: Yeah. So I particularly like that. I, oh, I made a note ahead. of it when it happened. I was like, oh that was very fun. <laughs> I will steal that. I'm glad. That's another tip of this show. If you ever see anyone do anything good, just steal it for your own game. That's what you should
1: do. What's the saying? Good writers borrow, great writers steal. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's true. (laughs) Goes for DMs as well. Goes for DMs too. (laughs) So we've talked about some highlights. Uh, Let's talk about areas of improvement. And I know we've kind of touched back and forth. We've talked about areas where you thought you've improved, areas that I kind of wanted to highlight. Between the first time we talked and now, what is an area you think that you still need to improve on or that you are actively like looking to improve upon?
1: Honestly, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff from before. Um, It's just the kind of thing of now that I have a bit more experience in it, I feel more confident in my ability to do better and also feel like I have a better grasp on exactly how to do it. So for example, With the battle stuff, I feel like I did a better job of making it a more interesting setting. The people they were fighting, it was a little bit closer to an even match. I had taken a lot more time to look at. It was a giant poisonous snake, three cultists, a cult fanatic, and then the harpy matriarch. And I took a lot more time in reading through and used the monsters know what they're doing the website.
0: Yes. The monster, very good blog. And also a couple of series of books by the same author.
1: It was, yeah. And it was super helpful in, in planning of being like, like we had talked about optimizing these guys of like, what would they do? And feeling confident, feeling more confident in knowing what moves made sense for them so that I didn't feel like I was scrambling or panicking. Cause it is the kind of thing of like, when you have one player that you are, when you're a PC, There's a lot going on on your character sheet, but you only have one character. You need to keep track of all the different moves or whatever. Hmm. When you're the DM, you have six or, you know, however many guys. And so while I still feel like, and we had talked about this with the Harpy Matriarch, like I fell a little short of doing her best job. And with the cult fanatic as well, I think I felt a little bit short um, just because they were the more complex of the characters. I felt so much more confident going in where I forgot to practice with my players. So Saris was first to the initiative and immediately was like, do I get sneak attack? And I was like, I don't know. I, I didn't look into that. I completely forget how it is that a person has the sneak attack condition and immediately was just like, Brian, does Saris have sneak attack? Because I was like, crap, I don't know how my players are supposed to function and so cannot answer questions for them. And it's the kind of thing where it's like, if you were not here as a resource, yeah, I could be like, you know what? I don't know. And look it up. And you as a DM have done that before. So, yeah, it's another thing where battles, there's just a lot of information to keep track of and and be on top of. And I, again, feel like my villains were, I felt a lot better about them. They still were not, I, I optimized and I, I, was not I feel like a a well-versed enough resource to my players but again those are things that I feel like you learn as you go and as I said I easily could have taken the reins and been like you know what let me double check and refresh my own memory about what sneak attack is instead of jumping to you but because you're here and you're so nice and so pretty I was like Brian why don't you jump in
0: So first off, just for anyone who's curious, sneak attack is a rogue ability. You get it whenever you either have advantage on a roll or you have a ally within five feet of the creature you're attacking. So it's essentially just a condition you get under those two circumstances. There are other circumstances you can get depending on your subclass, but generally that's what it is. And it allows you additional 1, to 10, D6, I think at level 20. So a lot of what you're describing is just familiarity with rules and, and especially with shorthand of things. So like to know exactly what sneak attack means, to know what charmed means, to know what the poison condition is. And a lot of that is just through repetition. A good resource is just the player's handbook. Mm-hmm. You you flip through the first couple of chapters of that, and you're gonna see a lot of this is laid out very well and very simply, which is luckily a very good resource to use.
1: The other area that again I feel like was a little bit of a repeat was <laughs> I, at the end of the battle was like, oh my God, like the, the, they're not just going to drive off into the sunset. I've told them the train isn't coming. Like I, <laughs> I was like, you have to do something now. You have to have an end scene. And also was, it was dawning on me as the battle was wrapping up where I was like, there's like, people are going to, people have heard this. People are going to come. They still have the treasure. Are they going to get arrested? Are they going to have to now fight Marsden? How are they going to escape this? Am I going to make them all just run for it? Like, how? what am I going to do? And it it felt similar to when, um, Chevelle wanted to try to decouple the cars and I panicked and was like, everything I have planned is on the other side of those cars where I once again was like, ah, man, I have to, I have to think about what's happening here. And I felt again, like I was one step ahead, but it was a thing that I felt better about. And also feel like if I wasn't trying to just wrap it up, that I would have felt a little more okay being like, okay, you test this out, see what they say, go here, do this. And this was an instance where it was like, I was doing that, but I was also trying to get us to a point. And so it was, again, I think both the battle and Feeling like I am, I'm. I don't know where you guys are going or what you're doing. That it's the kind of thing where it's really just gonna take practice. Like the more I do it, the more comfortable I will
0: feel doing it. Endings are hard. Full stop. And you, you were definitely trying to wrap up the session. So I think it is extremely different from the decoupling thing. Where the, the decoupling thing, I think you were like infringing on agency a little bit, mostly because everything you'd planned was on the other side of the car which is a totally fair reason to, to not allow that, <laughs> especially as a first time DM. In, in this case, I don't think that it's necessarily comparable in the way that you're worried about.
1: It was more, it was internally, solely for me. Sure, they were, were both instances feeling. in which I felt like I am unprepared. I do not know if you guys do, like if you uncouple these train cars or if you do X at the end of this battle, I have no idea what I'm going to make everybody else do in reaction to that. And there's something a little bit scary about having that be fully open and wanting to make sure that I have the right response or a response that like is going to get us somewhere that makes sense or is good to go to or, you know, whatever it is. And so it was a a moment where I kind of felt like I was like, I don't know. We're going to see where this goes. Right. Um, Which there's a little bit of a scary aspect to that. I feel like it was a little easier this time. So as I said, I think just more, I practice it, uh, the less terrifying. And it also was the end where I was like, I could also just be like, and yeah, that was it. Good session guys. And like, it would be disappointing to wrap it up that way. But I was like, I have an out. (laughs) Whereas at other points where I had this feeling, I was like, You do not have an out. You just have to keep playing.
0: I think it's a time where you can kind of throw it to your players a bit where we all know the lay of the land. We know what the score is. We've killed Jolene. We have one person left. There is a big party going on nearby. They've probably heard us. We've got this treasure that belongs to Marsden Greed. There's a sheriff in town. You could then ask like, so you've just killed them. You got to get out of town. What do you guys do? and kind of let us narrate how we finish off the adventure a little bit.
1: So why I wanted to put in your hands what you guys wanted to do with that last bro-lean, as, uh-huh. <laughs> as we called them, where I was Broline,
0: like,
1: part of me was like, it'd be so hilarious if they tried to recruit him into their gang and you guys became like a gang of five instead of four. Or uh, I liked what you guys did too, where you just immediately were like, you wanted to give yourselves clout where you're like, we killed her. And also here's another one of her guys who we also have for you. Give us like more clout and money and rewards and like all this stuff. And, and, or I, yeah, it was a thing when you kept saying that you guys were the deplorable four, but there were only two of you visible. I was like, one, two, three, four, deplorable four. I was like, you do have a third man. Who's like, you've got your arm around him. And I told you the sheriff, like, Recognized the patch, but wasn't putting two and two together. So like you could have said he was like one of your friends or whatever. But that's what I mean. Is like, I handed some aspects of it to you guys because I wanted to, I wanted to see what, cause if you guys were like, pew, pew, let's shoot him up and run. We would have had to make an ending work with that. But I kind of wanted to see where you guys went.
0: That's also a thing could have kind of like in keeping with the Western tradition of like Butch Cassidy, the Sundance kid we're surrounded on all sides by, a posse of lawmen where we're going to go out shooting freeze frame as we run out in front of the, you know, Mexican uh, army. Mm-hmm. So there are fun kind of endings you could do with that. Should you so want, or just leave it as a cliffhanger, like next time on the deployable four. Type right. Thing. Yeah. The deployable four will ride again. I think uh, we were talking about this and there was a thing I forgot to talk about that I think was very fun and is also embarrassing for me for reasons I'll explain in a moment. <laughs> So Which you already know when Saris discovered the <laughs> sword, she was trying to essentially like attune to it. You made her make arcana checks mm-hmm. with slowly, like the more she tried it, the easier it got when she was finally able to attune to it. An inscription appeared on the hilt. <laughs> yeah. That was the command <laughs> phrase to activate the flame tongue dagger. Yeah. And in this Western, in this Western one shot with the great Jolene Jolene of Dolly Parton as the villain, the etching came up, M I space M A Y N. And it. I looked around the table on our Zoom and I had not gotten it. Everyone was like, you know, sounding it out in their head, like, my, my, man, my, <laughs> my, my, my. Man. And then someone at some point Nima says, Island? someone says, my man. And I'm like, oh, is that the joke? My man because all, I was, all I was saying-
1: It was was like, and she I said it perfectly with like this twang where it was the way you my, go my to pronounce am. it of like my man or you you put yeah. some kind of twist on it just because of the way that I chose to spell it. And it was perfection. And I want to say it was she got it
0: and Spell got it. She, she also said, and it did not click for me <laughs> that she's going to try to take it. Yes. And of course, if you know the song Jolene, <laughs> Jolene 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 I'm begging darling please don't take my man (laughs) and it took until after the session
1: it was like an hour later when when we were talking about
0: it (laughs) when we were like I was confessing to Abby that I didn't get the joke and then she was like oh it's so funny because she's she's trying to take my man and then it was only after that point that I actually got the joke like not only I had multiple stops where I didn't understand this joke uh (laughs) And it was truly the fault of the, sometimes the audience is <laughs> in the wrong and this is very much one of those times. But I, but I do think having this kind of like goofy, punny, jokey reveal in yeah. a one shot, especially around, you know, when you decided to have Jolene be the, the villain of this Western is very fun. And it's one of those moments where players get to have this like fun, aha, laugh, like meta thing going on. It, it, yeah. It's, it's the thing you get to do as a DM. That's like, Hey, here's my Easter egg. Here's mm-hmm. my like written joke. Cause everything else you're going to do is going to be on the fly. But having these like small little Easter egg moments are very fun. If your audience is smart <laughs> enough to understand them, which I was not.
1: Well, it was so funny because I, as soon as I decided that Jolene was the villain and that you guys were like basically on a treasure hunt. And I knew that I wanted to have there be within the treasure. A, we had talked about this at length. I don't know how I latched onto these ideas. I can't quite remember. But I knew within the treasure, I wanted there to be a weapon and I Mm -hmm. wanted it to be something that required attunement because I wanted it to be, I think there is something very fun to like, you have to roll to see if you could use the cool new toy.
0: Right. Because because normally an an attuned weapon or an attuned item need, you need to like sit with it for a short rest Mm -hmm. to be able to attune to it and use it.
1: So I wanted this to be something where it's like, you don't quite know how to use it on your first try. So you may not actually be able to do it. And once I figured out that I wanted it to be the actual magical item is flame tongue is like the name within five mm-hmm. uh, E, but I wanted to like give it a fun name. And I was like, well, it has to be my man. Jolene don't take my man. And also in keeping with like D and D stuff of like how fantasy And sci fi spellings make no sense whatsoever. I was like, I think it'll be doubly fun if instead of handing you guys the joke, you make us work for it. I make you work for it a little bit in sounding out. uh, Kevin did this in our home game of his character and a bunch of characters that were related to his backstory. If you see their names just written, you're like, okay. And then when you say them out loud, you're like, oh my God, it's a pun.
0: Yeah, he, and he it's had, so he had, he had satisfying. Guy, had, so his, his name was, uh, I hope Kevin doesn't mind me saying this, but his name was Bat Penetar, a, a play on Pat Benatar And one of his, like the guy who trained him as a monk was named Honold Reagan. But also
1: if you look at the spelling if of any the spelling, of these things, insane. And it, it, it it is not an obvious like Reagan is not spelled how you think it's spelled. And you have to say it out loud and try to pronounce it in order to get the joke. which what, I love
0: what what killed me about it is he he got me like I didn't <laughs> I didn't say it out. It, you know, this is a little like just tip for any games out there. Anytime you make an NPC name, say it out loud, because every now and then you realize some of this crazy fantasy spelling has made you say something you might not have wanted to say. <laughs> um, but I said, Ronald Reagan out loud and then. I, it like clicked for me the second I said it, everyone around the table kind of groaned and or laughed. And then I, he, he played me. He played me. It was great. Uh, congratulations. So I played myself. But then but so, not, but then not only that, he, the second person he had in his backstory was named, uh, it was spelled J apostrophe M I space. Last name is like K A R T I R or something. And I even I, I even was like, you know what? I'm not gonna get fooled by. i I won't get fooled again. But who told me? I won't get fooled. And and I said it out loud like three or four times. I was like, how does, how could this possibly be anything? It can't be Jamie Cartier. Jamie? No, that's definitely not a thing. And then we got to the scene where uh, Jamie Carter uh, <laughs> w- was revealed, and I said it, and I stood. Up. I think I, I want to say I like stood up or yelled. I was like, God, damn it. <laughs> And you know, what was even funny is I remember listening or uh, saying that aloud to myself. I was like, what are some other presidents he could have gotten me with? Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan. Okay. What about Bill Clinton? What about Jimmy Carter? Could this be Jimmy Carter? <laughs> no, it's not Jimmy Carter. Next. And it, God damn it. It was. So sometimes your players get the best of you and that's, you know, that's okay. That's fun.
1: It's fun. But that was, yeah, I feel like it was, it was a thing. I always knew I really wanted to do this and I'm really glad that I, I went back and forth between being like, should I just have it say? M Y M A N. And then was like, I trust you guys. Cause that was one of the things as well within planning the puzzle where I was like, I just am nervous in the same way that you have no idea where your players are going to go and what they're going to do. I wasn't sure what was going to end up being something that you guys got or didn't get. Mm-hmm. And so with this, with the sword, it's a joke. And so if I have to explain it to you, really the only consequences, like I feel, feel silly having crafted a bad joke. And maybe you guys feel silly for not having gotten it. I Um, certainly feel silly for not having gotten this joke. Uh, And so went back and forth and, and with, with the puzzle, it was a similar feeling of like, I want to make sure you guys can solve this, but I don't want to make it. So you get it immediately. And you guys did get it immediately, but you made, You had fun with it. We did. Yeah. Which made me feel a lot, made me feel a lot better. And I also think that you guys had a good time in figuring out. And and I did throw a little loophole, not a loophole. I threw a little extra detail in there to make it a little harder. I was terrified that I was screwing you guys over and uh, it made no difference whatsoever.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Since you're touching on the puzzle, let's talk about the puzzle a little bit. I know you, you got this one from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Yeah. I think
1: it was- the s- a skeleton key chest, I think is the, like the name of the puzzle so, so in, in there. the
0: back of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which is a D and D source book. There's a whole section on puzzles and you had chosen one of the easy ones kind of at my recommendation of mm-hmm. generally with puzzles, pick something a little easier than you think, let your players figure it out quicker and have fun with it rather than choosing something that is overly complicated or because sometimes puzzles that are, that end up in D and D books kind of require weird leaps of logic. Like I know there's one in tomb of annihilation where there's a statue of like a guy carrying a crocodile. So the only way to cross the room is to like have someone get on your shoulders. So, it's, okay. And I, I remember <laughs> doing that and like just in my head thinking, what are the mechanics that, uh, that activate this trap? Like how, what camera system <laughs> is looking at people crossing
1: and I mean, like you're not on his shoulders, and
0: analyzing and seeing oh, rain down people. on you. Exactly. How
1: does it judge that it's two people stacked on top of each other in a trench
0: coat? Exactly. <laughs> um, so talk to me about. So you didn't actually design this puzzle, but you did add a little you added a little spin to it and you you executed it. Talk to me about what you thought went right and what you thought went wrong with the puzzle.
1: So with the puzzle, it was a similar concern to the battle of wanting to make sure that it was balanced. And it was very interesting to me in that, like you had given the advice of battles, make it a little harder than you think it's going, than you need it to be. You can, as you said, like always have a guy run away or, you know, you can figure it out on the fly, but make it a little harder than you think. Puzzles, you gave me the opposite tip, which was to make it, give them something a little easier than you think they can handle because- Yes, it's true. You never know. Sometimes people get really caught up in a bunch of things. And especially in this instance, since we were playing over Zoom, there was no visual aspect that I could hand you. Mm -hmm. Some of the puzzles in um, Tasha's Culture and of Everything had a like printout that you could scan or like hand out to people that uh, I'm sure I could have, you know, you can send a document around in Zoom and everything. But like I I was like, this is too complicated. I'm not going to do it. So I wanted to pick something that I, I felt like you guys could solve without, you know, getting sort of lost in your own head. But was, uh, yeah, it just, again, was a kind of thing of like, until you run it or you see what happens, I was really nervous that it was going to be too easy. And you guys would figure it out immediately. And then it wouldn't be fun for you. And then I was also nervous because I planned to, I don't know why I chose this. So the actual puzzle itself is there are keys that have different numbers of teeth. There are four locks And each of the locks has a picture above it of an animal. And the solution is that the number of teeth is a reference to the number of letters in the name of the animal. I added in that they each had a different color ribbon.
0: As a red herring.
1: As a red herring. And and up until the moment I described everything to you guys was still on the fence about whether or not I was going to have those colors. And I had gone back and forth between choosing colors that deliberately had three, four, five, and six letters Mm -hmm. or deliberately choosing colors, which is the route I went that did not fit the number of teeth on the keys as well. And, and was terrified that like somehow I was absolutely going to screw you guys over because the, the bit of it as well was if you stuck the wrong key in the wrong lock, whatever animal picture was above the keyhole, you roll a D four and that number of that creature pops out of like thin air. And you now basically have to battle for giant bats uh, right. as you are simultaneously trying to solve this puzzle. So it just like makes it increasingly harder.
0: So I'm not a big fan of puzzles like this for, I like puzzles in general as like a person, the, the problem that I find with them in D D when they get more complicated, I think this was a a good level of like simplicity. And uh, could you have gone a little bit harder? Yes. But I think staying on the easier end is more fun because you can still have aspects of role play. It doesn't break immersion. When you get into more complicated puzzles that you need to like sit down and write out all of a sudden you're not talking. It becomes more and more difficult to keep talking in character. And it's more becomes me, Brian Mm -hmm. trying to solve a puzzle rather than me Doc trying to figure out this puzzle. Well,
1: it was a very interesting experience for me having picked this puzzle, being unsure, at least three of the four of you got, (laughs) figured it out immediately Mm -hmm. and and knew exactly like which key went which place. And yeah, the colors of the ribbons threw you off a little bit or there was some discussion about like what order you had to stick them into the chest. And I could have made it so you had to put them like in increasing Mm -hmm. ascending or descending order. I did, that wasn't part of it from the book. And so I didn't do it, but that I was a little disappointed that you guys got it immediately. However, you guys had a lot of fun then playing the solution as your characters. Like Chevelle was so funny in talking through how the number of teeth on each key related to the like look of the animal and then Gord being like, I've seen five snakes in my life. So five is probably snakes. And it's like, yeah, the person who made this definitely knew personally who you were and how many snakes you'd seen. And so it gave everybody an opportunity to do that. And I feel like the more I think about it, the more I think that that was the fun bit. It's like, yes, it was very fun getting this puzzle, thinking about it, coming up with a solution, which you guys also weren't 100 percent sure it was correct, although you were pretty sure it was correct. <laughs> but then the fun, an additional fun bit was being able to be in character solving it.
0: With any encounter, whether it be combat, whether it be puzzle, whether it be social, the the goal of the game is always to be able to reaffirm character and character choices. And when you're in when you're in a social encounter, it's pretty easy. Like you interact with a person, you are constantly thinking about your character and acting as your character. In combat, it can be, you know, a little hit and miss. You can, yes, be acting as your character, but sometimes it becomes that that battle game. It becomes that, you know, war game where you're trying to optimize your things and you're not necessarily thinking of character. I think when you're looking at puzzles, make sure you're crafting something that still allows the characters to that is still able to like affirm their who they are.
1: Right. It is also the kind of thing of like, for instance, having that rope with the knot. Uh, which is just something I added to the puzzle for fun, specifically relating to us. If somehow it had been the case that Gord was the only person attempting to figure out this puzzle, I wouldn't have given him that not because it had already been established that he, that Gord has no clue what to do with this thing. Right. And it, Kevin would have been frustrated being like, I know what to do with this, but Gord doesn't. And it is disappointing to be like, well, so like, I guess I'll come up with a way for Gord to figure it out then. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it, I it, feel like I'm starting to see the benefit. I'm starting to see the like, cause as I said, I was slightly disappointed that it was so easy for you guys, but I think, there was a lot more benefit in doing something that turned out to be a little bit too easy, but that you guys could play with versus doing something that was a challenging puzzle.
0: It's more interesting as a player to have to be able to figure out a puzzle or a situation as a player and then role play it as a character of either being able to figure it out or not figure it out. Mm-hmm. It is less satisfying to be me, Brian, being presented with a puzzle that I can't solve and then but my character being smarter than me and having him like roll to solve it. I would always rather play down than have to have my character do something that I'm not necessarily capable of.
1: Yeah, no, Um, and and maybe that's
0: just me. That might not be for everybody, but I would rather have a solution and be able to play with the fact that I know what the solution is and I could lead my character down any number of paths like what Chevelle did Mm -hmm. um, to find the correct solution.
1: Right. Like he presented the correct solution, but in a way that made no sense whatsoever. Like it was illogical, but correct. Uh, But that Mm -hmm. was so much fun. It is also a thing where I will say with puzzles, uh, because I enjoy doing them and would love to kind of maybe play with this a little bit more of of testing it out. But in reading through, like I was just really just uh, scanning through them in, in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. A lot of them were similar to, yeah, it's like the guy holding a crocodile statue and say it just didn't seem like a satisfying puzzle. And I feel like if, if you are the kind of person who's good at like crafting a puzzle, that might be a more fun way to go or to do like a classic riddle with a twist or something because too many of them, I was like. As a DM, this wouldn't even be satisfying to present to you guys. There were a lot of great ones in there, especially ones that were harder. But there were some where I was like, this doesn't even feel like fun to to present to you, let alone for you guys. It's an uns- I, even if it's easy to figure out, it would be unsatisfying to figure
0: out. I always think the, the better puzzle is a like the puzzle of a social encounter of we need to talk to this guy, but there are. These people in our way. How do we play this person off this person to get to this person? Yeah, I um, do
1: think that that is a fun,
0: which way to is, which is twist not, like which puzzles. is not like the classic D D puzzle, but it is. It allows more play. Yeah. Than a than a box or like a Rubik's cube does.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna keep trying puzzling, but it is an interesting.
0: It's a tough challenge. Complexity. It, it, yeah. It's one that I've never found satisfying, and so I've mostly avoided.
1: It was also a thing and we talked about this. I can't remember if it was before or I think we definitely talked about it afterwards where it was. Jolene was coming underground in hot pursuit of you guys. And you were presented with this puzzle. I was never going to make Jolene pop up in the middle of your puzzle solving. Mm. I was always, that's why I was like, she seems to have hit some kind of roadblock. You don't know how long it's really going to take her to clear this or what's happening there, but she's on her way because I was like the, the fun of figuring this puzzle out is like, maybe you guys think there's like a time constraint, but like, I want you to actually be able to do it. Uh, And so I was never going to like ruin that whole thing by having her pop
0: out. I kind of like having people pop out at inopportune times, Mm -hmm. Um, like having her all of a sudden we hear her footsteps down when we're like deciding whether or not we should put the keys in. So it's kind of like, Hey, it's now or never type thing.
1: But in, in that particular instance, it is, you guys have, quote unquote solved it, or you think you have. And then it's just a matter of like, say, which is why, like when, after you guys had opened it and I was like, you either have to pick up this heavy chest and carry the whole thing where it's also kind of like an obvious, right. like you are carrying the loot in the treasure chest in which it was stored. Or do you want to take a minute to sort it into like, you know, empty satchels and carry right. what, it. What are you going to do with this? Loot what are you, you going to do with it? it? And then I was like, now I put the pressure on of like the clocks ticking Because now it's more fun of you guys making that split second decision. But if you're still sitting there like, I don't know how to solve this puzzle. And now you've had my bad guy pop up. And now it just is a thing that personally, I feel like it would frustrate me more than be like, ah, this is crazy. Like, but in a fun way. And so I was like, I'm never going to do that to you guys. That's fair. Yeah.
0: Now We've kind of talked about the adventure. I want to move on to a new segment that I'm doing for this show. (laughs) I'm calling it two options. You, you could choose. It's either the shit you didn't get to say or it's uh, left on the dungeon floor.
1: Oh, left on the dungeon floor, of course. Then let's go with
0: left on the dungeon floor. <laughs> um, what is something that you had planned?
1: Oh, my God, so much. Either
0: like written <laughs> down or something that you didn't get to do, uh, whether for, for better or for worse, that we didn't take that path, we didn't get to see. Uh, what was the, the number one thing that you planned that we didn't get to see?
1: Oh, man. There was a bunch of stuff I had planned towards the beginning and it's in my notes that are are have been posted to the website Mm -hmm. I had put in Tallulah Lilyhammer as a uh MPC who before you guys even got on the train she was going to be basically like your groupie the only groupie of the deplore oh, before that's fun. And she was going to like run in and, and uh, basically she was crafted as a way to introduce uh Gord's knot and pants situation because as your groupie, she was going to have made you guys flashy new outfits like, a- oh, okay. <laughs> and also the plan for the outfits was that they were going to be very much like ABBA, but like ABBA meets Western of like ABBA
0: with fringe have with
1: more fringe. Like glam, like like Lady Gaga cowboy, her her Joanne era. And so I had a whole plan and basically the point of it was that she would have specifically made these very cool pants for Gord and he would have been like devastated that he can't or she would have made him a jumpsuit, some something where it was like as a way to introduce the fact that he cannot take his pants off. Uh, So I made her and and, uh, I just didn't think she was, well, it had already taken a really long time (laughs) for us in the saloon, which is when I was gonna introduce her. And I didn't think that she necessarily was, like I thought you guys had passed the point where she would have been a, she just would have been a distraction and like a delay from at this point, you guys were like, we are going to the train. We know what our goal is. And then to have her pop up and like, you have this, you know, 20 minute interaction with her, it just kind of would have been like a, I can see how you guys would have easily brushed her off and left. And I was like, we will get to Gord's pants another way. Right. So I had her, she, yeah, she was going to be like a groupie for you guys. Uh, and to also play up a little bit of your like reputation it's oh, um, a bummer that
0: I got left on the, on the dungeon floor. Cause I think doc would have had a lot of fun of that.
1: It's, I mean, who knows? She could come back in a later, later situation, um, uh, session on the train. I had Samuel was the conductor, mm-hmm. had a whole personality situation, information you could have gotten from him, things he would have challenged you in or let you do or whatever. But he immediately got thrown out the window, literally thrown out the window of the yep. train. So then Samuel became Cece's manservant. Cece also changed as a character on the fly. When I started using her voice, I was like, cause she was originally going to be like an older woman who was kind of bored with being, you know, super wealthy. And that's why she was like on this train and, and observing people of lower classes of like trying to find some way to like make her life more exciting. And then once I started talking, I was like, Oh no, Cece's a young woman. Now she's just, she's, I'm going to have to do different things for her. And it was very fun and it like, came naturally, so it was fine. But yeah, so CC changed. I would love to have, it's there's a ton of stuff I would have loved to play in more and do more with. Oh, Dolly and Reba also, the prostitutes from the saloon at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You guys didn't interact with them enough for me to like really flesh them out. Um, But then like when you guys got to sneak Scorch, I would have loved to have like spent three days there of you guys gathering info, making more friends, making more enemies, going to the party, doing more stuff. And, And I didn't do it partly because we were trying to plan this as a one shot. And then also when the original in the first session, it was like we were hoping it would be a one shot and we were already so far past the amount of time that
0: I think any of us thought we would
1: be playing. And right. I was
0: like, you just got to keep the ball rolling, girl. <laughs> but but good stuff to keep in mind if you want to do a longer campaign.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was um, a bunch of NPCs who I either just entirely didn't use or completely pivoted who they were Bernice was always Bernice.
0: Bernice was and always will be Bernice. <laughs> Great. Uh, the, the last thing I want to talk about is we did this for episode three and I want to do it again for episode five. Do you have any new piece of advice you would give a first time DM after having now run two sessions?
1: I think a piece of advice. This is a little bit of a roundabout piece of advice, but a thing that I think I did More of and differently in this session was what we had talked about of talk to your players and see what they want. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just refer to preparation and the in-between session stuff. We were, I, in this session, I multiple times, to be fair, did not actively ask people what they wanted, but could tell there were things. So for instance, when Sarris was rolling arcana checks to be able to use the sword, her her first one missed, but I explained to her the mechanic and it was like, okay, cool. So I will get to do this. The second one, technically I had a different DC in my head, but because I hadn't said it out loud and it was a 15, which I was like, she wants to play with the toy and I also want her to. And so I was like, don't be a stickler, let her do it. Do it. And so I feel like it is, again, a thing of like, pay attention to and tune into what your players want. Not just referring to like, we want a Western where we are a gang that beats up a bad guy. It's like, look at them of rewarding those moments of like, I've, you know, you want to go explore that door in the, like Kevin going over to the, the Gord going over to the drunk guy in the saloon. It's like, do something fun with it. Don't just say
0: no. Right. This game is a dance. I mean, when people express interest in something, when they start to have their attention focused to something, that's where the attention of the game shifts. You've got to be able to respond to that.
1: Yeah. So I guess the advice is, is kind of a, flexibility is like your greatest asset. Yeah. Follow being, your players. Yeah. Being able to say, you know what? I had a whole thing planned with the conductor and you literally threw him out the window and we're just going to make do with it. And it is what it is. Uh, as well as saying, you know, I had a whole plan for, this puzzle and you guys clearly don't want to do the puzzle. So I will come up with another way for you guys to, to get this information or do this thing. I think being flexible with your preparations is just infinitely important. Hell yeah. One other piece of advice that I feel like I'd give people and, and <laughs> not to get like too much, but this isn't just a D and D is it is a real benefit when you can say, I don't know. So like if you're DMing and someone says, Why, do I have sneak attack? And you don't have Brian sitting next to you. I don't know, Google it and like, look it up. And like you and your players can learn it together. And that just because you are supposed to be the like, quote, leader of this game, that like there is a, a huge relief and benefit in admitting that you don't know and that you guys have to look it up together or you need to as a group come up with like a, a homebrew solution and you guys will all have fun figuring that stuff out.
0: Yeah, the best answer for anytime you say, I don't know, it should probably always follow with, but I can find out.
1: Right. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Let's go look it up in the book or whatever. Yeah, let's figure it out.
0: Abby, thank you so much for joining us on on this this series. Did you have some fun?
1: I did. And also just want to, again, say thank you so much to Naka, Kevin, and Lauren yes, for playing I mean. with me and having fun with me and letting me uh, throw Dolly Parton-themed puns at them <laughs> and and uh, live out my, my sort of dream of DMing. So thank you, guys.
0: Thank you so much to Abby and to our players, Naka, Kevin, and Lauren. That is all for part five of this three-part series. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you had fun. I hope you learned a little something. Keep your eyes on this feed. We're going to try to do this series again. It was a lot of fun, and we got a lot of good response from it, so we're really excited to give it another try with another first-time DM. Maybe try to tackle some other problems that first-time DMs face. And until then, just remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Everybody, this is Abby. If you enjoyed this episode of My First Dungeon, you might want to check out some of our other shows in the Fractured Realms. For instance, our D&D actual play anthology show, The 20-Sided Podcast. This season is called Prisoners of the Static, and I play Natasha Borshackert, Captain of the Gilded Ghost. Interested? Check out the trailer and tune in every Monday for brand new episodes. Bye-bye.
0: The static, a mysterious mist-covered scar left behind by the Titans. Nothing that has entered that expanse of fog has ever been seen again. Until now, that is. A message in a bottle containing two things. The first, a plea for help from the legendary weaponsmith to the gods. The second, a warning. Here, there be monsters. In Season 2 of the 20-Sided Podcast, three brand new players will descend into the unknown, shackled by their secrets and fears, and venture past the ominous white expanse to learn, only too late, that they are about to become prisoners of the static. Be seeing you.